0: So we will continue our study of 2 Corinthians and uh, I'm going to do something a little different than what I've done in the past. I think Jeremy's done something similar to this. But what I want to do, first of all, instead of making some personal application as we go throughout, I really want to focus on what does the text mean within the context of the entire book of 2 Corinthians and its immediate context chapter one and two and things like that. Then we may then at the end we'll talk about some personal application that we can make to this uh, but really I want to focus on uh, what the text is about mostly. Um, by the way, I don't like the title Forgive the offender. <laughs> uh, DB gets those from the from the Bibles that he's using and sometimes they don't accurately I mean it does talk about forgiving the offender but that's not the only thing this is talking about so sometimes, uh, that's kind of close, but really what it's about is he's continuing uh, the message that he started at the end of chapter one. There's a break that happens that was done by man because God or Paul did not write a letter and say, okay, this is verse one, this is verse two, this is chapter one, chapter two. Paul didn't do that. Man came along later and divided it out. Uh, so we're going to back up. And at least look at the first two or last two verses of chapter one, which DB handled very well uh, last week, um, but just kind of as a reminder of what the context is. It says, Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. So as, as he's continuing his defense, the overall Uh, look of the book itself is he's defending himself against those that are claiming that he's not he does not have authorities particularly as an apostle or one from God and so he's defending that his apostleship throughout the book and here he's one of the things that was leveled against him was you said you were going to come visit us and instead you sent this letter and so he's defending himself about that. And here towards the end of this chapter. Uh, he says he's justifying his reason for not coming. But sending a letter. Uh, he knows. Uh, God knows why. And that's what he's saying here. God knows why I didn't come. He's a witness to all that. And if not punish me. He, he can punish me. But God is my witness uh, in this way. And he says it was a really. Really to allow them an opportunity and allow them time to fix the problems that they had to begin with. He wanted to he didn't want to come and visit and hurt them in some way. He wanted his visit to be pleasant, and so he sent them a letter instead of visiting. And because of what needed to happen because discipline was necessary in the case of everything that was going on in Corinth, and so, when he visited, he wanted it to be with joy. And so, he applied that instruction for discipline in the letter, rather than coming and doing it personally. And that brings us to verses 1 and 2. But I determined this within myself, that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then, he who, is, then who is he who makes me glad, but the one who is made sorrowful by me? So, I didn't want to come and visit and... Make you sorrowful? That's not the intent of why I come visit. So I sent the letter instead. That's what he's, he's defending that uh, personally. Uh, and he says this would bring sorrow even to me. And if I, if I have sorrow, you have sorrow, because of what I'm having to do on my personal visit, who's going to cheer me up? <laughs> who's going to bring me joy? And he's going to go on and he's going to talk about that that's what he really wants to do when he makes a personal visit. So he sent the letter instead of the personal visit because he knew that that was not going to be something... I mean, who, who likes to hear that I'm do, you're doing something wrong? I mean, that naturally brings some sorrow. Sometimes uh, our defense goes up. Sometimes we get guarded about that. But in this case, uh, he didn't want to bring, make them sad by his presence. He wanted his presence to be a good thing. So he continues on in verse 3 and says, And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. So on the personal visit, he desired joy and not sorrow. Notice 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, where he says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and uh, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. So he didn't write uh, to cause grief. That That's not what he wanted, even though that's what happens. That naturally happens with any kind of rebuke. And that's certainly, as we studied First Corinthians, it was a letter of rebuke from beginning to end. Uh, the first nine verses were probably the most positive <laughs> of the entire Uh, letter that he wrote to corinth and the rest he and he uses that even to set up his the rest of the rebuke so it it was not a pleasant thing but he said i i didn't want to do that that was hard i wrote those things not because that was my desire he says i wrote those things out of affliction and anguish of heart i wrote those things with many tears you could just imagine him saying the words and. Writing those things down. I say saying those words because likely somebody pinned them for him as he he spoke those words. And sometimes that person that's trying to write down what he's saying probably couldn't understand what he was saying because he was crying. He didn't want to have to write that. I don't, there probably are people, oh I have no doubt, there are people who like to give rebuke. (laughs) Most people don't. Most people don't want that confrontation. Most people don't want to have to tell someone else that they're doing something wrong. Now, some people make a living out of it, right, Isaiah? (laughs) He's a safety officer. That's what he does for a living. But he doesn't like it. He doesn't like having to come tell people you're doing it wrong. Nobody really likes to do that, or few people like to do that. So, in this case, he's saying, I didn't want to do that, but I had to because I love you. Because if you didn't fix the problem, I knew what was coming. I knew what would happen. And I don't want that. And you don't want that. So I had to tell you. And I'm doing that out of love. And I want you to see that love that I'm giving to you. Notice First Corinthians 4 and verse 21 says, What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? He said, that's the way I would have came. When I come, is that what you want? Instead, I'll send a letter. And that way... You have time to fix the problem, and then I can come later, and we can enjoy one another's company. The personal visit would have been with discipline. That's what he would have had to do because of the problem that was going on. But he wanted that personal visit to be in the spirit of love and gentleness. So this is a, a reason that he's giving for writing a letter instead of a personal visit. And he goes on from there, from verse 4, and he begins to focus on the one who would receive the discipline in the first place. He says, but if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me. And so you might wonder, just looking at that, who is the he that he's talking about? But all of you, to some extent, not to be too severe. The he he's talking about, we have to go back uh, to First Corinthians chapter 5, notice verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And the rest of the chapter is how to deal with this man who was obviously in the wrong, who was sinning, a sin that even would not be named among the Gentiles. A sin that, that you look at and you go, even Gentiles would say, that's grotesque. And that was going on in the church. They didn't do anything about that. And so he was instructing them in the rest of the chapter what they should do about him. And that that came in the form of discipline. So the he in that context is that man. And he talks about his own grief. I'll just back up so you can see that. He says the, the grief, it's not grieved me, although it did grieve him. What he's saying was the grief that was brought to me is not equal to the grief that it brought to the Corinth congregation. They were dealing with it much more personally and therefore much more harshly than he was. Uh, So it was bringing them sorrow. But then he goes on and says, But all of you, to some extent, not to be too severe. What does he mean by not to be too severe? Well, uh, He doesn't want to be too severe by naming someone else that this man has also already grieved. Notice verses 6 and 7. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So, I don't need to name any more names. I don't need to bring more on him. The punishment that he got was sufficient. So, I'm not going to bring more sorrow on him by saying, well, he grieved you. You know, say somebody in the congregation was doing such a thing, and so now he's repented of that. So Paul writes a letter and talks to them about why he's not coming, writes us a letter, and he's, he's, what he's doing is saying, well, he grieved all of you much more than he grieved me, like he grieved Jeremy, and like he grieved Heather, and so on and so forth. That would bring more sorrow to this guy. But this punishment that was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much much sorrow. The punishment that was given was sufficient. This is the punishment. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's the first letter to Corinth chapter 5, verse 5. Same man, same chapter that we talked about before. The goal was to save that man. The discipline was to deliver him to Satan. To do that, they were not allowed to fellowship with him, basically. They were not allowed to eat with him. They were not to treat him as one of their own. He needed to feel the impact of not having the church as his family. And so... He told him to go. But the reason for that was so that he would wake up and repent and so that he would be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And that punishment was enough to accomplish that goal of repentance and salvation. So continue, to continue that, let's go back. He says, You ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. To, to continue to give this punishment to this man, to not include him in the fellowship and what everything is going on in the church that would be counterproductive to the goal which is for him to be saved he would be drowned in too much sorrow he, he he would know that he would think that there's no way out and that's not the god we serve we serve a god of grace we serve a god of mercy we serve a god of forgiveness and so he says instead Once that punishment is given and he does what he's supposed to do, he repents and he's saved. Now, show him. Comfort him. Then in verses 8 and 9, he says, Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. So first of all, he says, I want you to reaffirm your love to him. Welcome him back. He needs to know that he's loved and that he's cared for. He's made the necessary changes, so reaffirm that love. But he also says, I also sent this for a test to see that you would be obedient. Before I, I, I meaning Paul, before I can come visit you, I need to know if you're going to follow through with what I tell you to do. That's what he's saying. I need to see if you're going to be obedient in all things. And notice, verses 10 and 11, says, Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. <coughs> Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his deci- uh, devices. So here, uh, notice that he, in the first letter, he was the arbiter of the discipline, and now he's the arbiter of forgiveness. Now that that man has made the necessary changes in his life. The discipline was given by the authority of the Lord. And now the forgiveness is in the presence of the Lord. And so he's showing how important it is that they also forgive. And then uh, he says, uh, lest Satan should take advantage of us to forgive him to do that. Because if, if a congregation loses a member and the congregation has a blasé attitude about it or even a uh, or uncaring or unforgiving attitude because that's what you have here. You have a member of the church who has left. The reason he left was for the discipline. There's no doubt about that. But if the church does not care for his soul enough to forgive him when he comes back or th- then what? what kind of Uh, consequences would there be for a church like that, a congregation like that? Eventually, we're all going to hurt each other's feelings, and eventually we're going to be all unforgiving, and eventually there's not going to be a church here. There'll be a split, there'll be this, there'll be that. People will leave because they got offended and because they're unwilling to forgive, all kinds of things like that. And so he's saying, don't let Satan take advantage of you for being unforgiving. Be forgiving. Be forgiving. Reaffirm your love to him. Forgive him. and Because we don't want Satan to take advantage of us. So we need to have a forgiving spirit and a forgiving heart. So that's basically the context of 2 Corinthians 1 or 2, uh, 1 through 11. Now some lessons that we can learn and specifically apply if we didn't have a situation like this. Certainly we can learn from this that if someone in the congregation needed discipline then we carry out that discipline, and when that person uh, then it repents and changes, then our responsibility is to forgive him just as we discipline him uh, and to reaffirm our love and welcome him back into the fold. So that overall lesson is certainly there. The other lesson that we have from this is that Paul wrote the letter because he didn't want to come in, a, in that kind of a situation. But So what can we learn apart from that that maybe we can add to our personal lives? Let's make some application to this. Number one, we need to understand that sometimes rebuke is necessary. Sometimes we're going down a path that we shouldn't go. Sometimes we are doing things that we shouldn't be doing. And sometimes somebody needs to tell us when we're not doing what we should be doing. Or doing something something that we shouldn't or not doing something that we should. And it doesn't mean always that rebuke is necessary. but sometimes rebuke is certainly necessary second thing we learned from that is very close uh, to this but it's on the other side we need to act righteously to that rebuke you know if you consider how they they reacted they they followed through that test was for them to be obedient they passed the test and so uh, how they accepted the rebuke was they reacted to it righteously on the other hand, there were some who were questioning the apostleship of Paul, questioning his motive, questioning his leadership, questioning whether or not he was from God. And so they rejected that rebuke. That is not reacting to righteously to rebuke. And so we need to listen and repent and not judge the person's motives and not judge uh, and not be dismissive just because we don't like what we hear. Because more often than not, when we're being rebuked, we don't like what we hear. Uh, But we need not be so dismissive, but react righteously as the congregation at Corinth did. Number three, appropriate punishment correctly. Don't go too far. Don't do too much. He's, He's repented. You know, let him come back. The Bible talks quite a bit uh, about forgiveness we'll talk about that in just a moment but let, so let's put this in uh, terms that we might be in in any situation anytime we have authority over someone that we might give them punishment don't go too far that's abuse that's doing too much and we certainly don't want to do that uh, so Whether that's as a parent, whether that's as an employer, uh, whether that's a church leader, really doesn't matter. But appropriate punishment correctly and not go overboard. And then the last thing we learn, that I see anyway, is just be willing to forgive. Let it go. That person repented, reaffirm your love. Forgive that person. And certainly there are a lot of things in the Bible about repentance. How how many times should we forgive someone? Seven to- up to seven times? Nope. Try 70 times seven. And by the way, that number is not meant to be counted. I'm not supposed to go, well, that's number 489. You only got one left, buddy. <laughs> that's the point that Jesus was making was that that was above and beyond what anybody expected. See, the number seven in the Bible means complete. And so seven times would be completely forgiving. And after that, I don't have to worry about it. No, Jesus says go on forgiving. every time someone repents then you, you need to, to, to forgive them and certainly this man had repented and so they're telling him to forgive and there's a lot about forgiveness remember the parable of the man who was forgiven of a lot that he owed versus the man who owed him that owed very little the man that owed a lot was forgiven of his debt and then he required that debt of the one who owed him and so the man that had heard about that that he owed the money to, said, no, it's not going to work that way. Uh, You now owe me again, and I'm going to throw you in a prison until you pay it back. That's exactly, look, what God has forgiven us of is so much more, so much more, than what any one person could ever do against us. So if they repent, we forgive. Because once we repent uh, with God, you know what he does? He forgives us. And our debt is so great that we couldn't pay it, so much so that he sent Jesus to pay the debt for us. That's how the length that God went through to make sure that we can be forgiven. Surely we can get over some of the petty things that occur in our lives and forgive others. So that's the message of the evening. I hope it's been helpful. Hopefully we understand Second Corinthians chapter two, verses one through eleven a little better and learn some lessons apart from that as well. If uh, we are a family, we all make mistakes, we all sin, we all make decisions that take us a little farther sometimes away from God, decisions that we make that bring closer to God. If you've made some decisions that maybe have brought you away from God, taken you away from God, we want to reaffirm our love to you and show you that we still care for you, put our arms around you and comfort you and allow you to be able to grow and go past that. And if we can help you do that in prayer, this evening we will help you in whatever way we can. Just let us know by coming forward or sitting on the front as we stand and sing.